Guys, it's awesome to be back here. It's good to see you guys. I love Pastor Steve. Jason and Regina went on a missions trip. We moved to Germany. That's not a missions trip. <laughs> I, think that was a, uh, I think that was a hint of uh, suggesting a return. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. It's, it's awesome to be here, you guys. It's, um, I was telling somebody right before service, for me personally, it, it's like stepping back home. It, not just the island, but the, the family here. We've always were so loved from the day that we got here. Uh, Pastor Steve went out of his way for us. All of you guys just went out of your way for us, and we always felt like Ohana the, the moment we got here. And we just appreciate you guys, and I don't know if we could say that enough, but so stoked to be here. We're, we're, we came specifically because my oldest son, Josh, and Marissa, many of you guys know, had a baby, so I'm a grandpa. In uh, German, that's Opa. And so Oma, Regina, and then what's an added blessing with all my other kids from the mainland came over. So Caleb's here, and Libby, and her husband, Van, and of course, JJ, and my mom, and my dad. So it's like... Just family time. It's been awesome. So, yeah, um, a lot to say in a short time to do it, but um, kind of the goal is uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give you guys a little bit of an update as to what's going on. Many of you guys are praying for us, um, even financially supporting, so we thank you for that. We want to just kind of give you just a sliver of what we're doing, what's happening in Germany, Um, and then I want to share the word, and hopefully we'll kind of tie those together. But let's start just with a word of prayer, and... um, Yeah, we'll go from there. So, Father, thank you so much. What a privilege to stand in worship with other believers, and I've taken that for granted because I've had it my whole life. But when when you don't have that, um, it becomes even sweeter. Just to be in a room with other believers is a privilege. So thank you, God, for the church. Thank you for the body of Christ. And, um, Lord, today our, our main goal is that Jesus would get all the glory And then secondly, we want to receive anything you have for us, and we also want to build one another up. And if there's anybody here that hasn't yet given their life to Jesus, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I think I'm going to do, I've been wrestling with how I'm going to approach this this morning. I'm just going to read a verse or two from John 21, but then I'm going to talk about Germany and come back to this, and you'll see why I do it in a minute. So this is John 21. I'll give you the context later. Let me just read to you from that chapter, if I can find it. Excuse me. John 21, verse uh, 18. Jesus talking to Peter. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And in parentheses, it says, this he said to show what kind of death he would glorify God. So he just told Peter, "Um, you're going to live to your old, but you're going to die for me. And then the next verse is what I really want to talk about. It says, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me pretty crazy. So I want to talk to you guys this morning. I want to give you an encouragement um, about following Jesus, being Jesus followers. Now, I didn't say being churchgoers. I didn't even say being believers in Christ, but just following Jesus. There's kind of a big difference between believing in Jesus and and being a Jesus follower. Amen? And I want to encourage you and myself. I've been stuck in this passage for, it seems like, months. In fact, I think I even shared this a couple years ago, right before I left. But that's kind of the heart of, of Regina and I and JJ when we left Kauai to go to the middle of nowhere, Germany. Um, we 
didn't go with some grand scheme or plan. It was out of this simple desire to just follow the lead of Jesus. Like, that's where he's going, and we're like, okay, we'll go. And so that's been our heart. It continues to be our heart. So we've been there. We've been in Germany. I'm going to show you some pictures just so as I, as I talk, you guys can have a little bit of, like, connection. Um, but we'll just stay there for a second. We've been there for a little over a year and a half. No, excuse me, a year and a quarter. Um, we landed on April 23rd, right, Regina? 2021, the, the day we got there, they locked down. The next day, they locked down Germany again because of COVID. People were like, how did you even get into the country? And we're like, Jesus, that's how we got in. Um, and then it was a pretty gnarly six months or so. We were locked down pretty tight. We happened to not be vaccinated, so we were allowed to basically go to the grocery store, and that was it. And it was just a dark, gray, kind of cold, hard six to 18 months, <laughs> uh, six to nine months maybe, but um, challenging. You know, everything's new, brand new place, brand new culture, brand new language, and everything you can do easily here, like talk to somebody in the street or go to the grocery store. Now you can't do that because you can't speak the language. And so everything is just new and it's re really, really challenging. But God's moving and God's working. And we decided with the day we got there that uh, even before we got there, Regina reminds me all the time, the theme would be not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We didn't go there with some great plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Jesus said move there, so we moved there. Step B, see Jesus. He's just telling us what to do, um, and we're taking it slow, and we're learning language, and we're learning culture, and we're humbling ourselves and getting pounded and then having victories, and God is organically, naturally just moving. So let me just give you some faces and places here of, of what we're doing. Um, first of all, let me talk a little bit about where we are. When you think about visiting Germany and going to Europe, you're like, oh, that'd be so cool. But you're not picturing where we live. <laughs> it still is beautiful and, and awesome. But we live in East Germany. Now, if you remember, East Germany was under communism until 1989, and then they reunified the country in 1990. Well, when that happened, everybody left East Germany to go to the West. But nobody from the West came to East Germany. And so it's a different culture. Even the Germans will tell you it's still like it's a different country, a different vibe, too much to talk about right now. But I will say this is that people, East Germans, Germans have told us, I've had at least three people say to me, you know you live in the most atheistic place on the planet, right? Like they don't say the most atheistic place in Europe or in Germany. They say on the planet. Obviously, there's no way to gauge that or prove it statistically, but that gives you the impression of where we are. It's a, it's a culture that was teaching their people for years and years and years. There is no God. God has been completely removed from the culture, and it reflects in everything on the way down. Um, and because of that, um, it's, Christianity is like, it's like a wasteland there. And it's ironic because we live 30 minutes from Eisleben, a little dwarf or a village called Eisleben, where um, Martin Luther was born, a little guy named Martin Luther was born and where he died. Wittenberg is about an hour from us where the Protestant Reformation had its birth. So it's this ironic thing. It's this weird thing. We have this clash of like rich history, but the reality is church is dead. It's a wasteland. And so it's a crazy place. But I want to give you kind of a visual real quick, just a couple pictures. Go ahead. Um, this is Lengefeld. I don't know if you can see it. it's pretty gritty, but that's the village we live in. We live in a village of about 400 people in farmland all around of us. I help move cows. I have chickens. Like, that's weird to me still to say it out loud. Anyway, we live in this amazing little village. It's taken, this picture was taken from a little hillside where we go up there and pray over our village all the time. And that has been the key. That has been our ministry. We pray. What have you guys been doing for a year? Praying. 
And you realize sometimes when you're praying that as we pray over the houses and we pray over the people, that we're probably the first people in the history of their lives to have somebody actually pray for them. Crazy. Okay, go ahead. This is another shot of the village. You can keep going. Another little shot of the village just from one of the streets. It looks like we live on a movie set, but that's actually where we live. Um, Go ahead. That is just a reminder that the snow is coming and it's going to be cold and I've got a lot of firewood to cut when I get home. That's just reality. Okay, move on. And this is kind of the city center next to our Dorf. I keep saying Dorf. That's the word for village in German. Um, There's a little city called Sangerhausen and it has about 35,000 people. This is um, just kind of the courtyard center place. They have like a farmer's market there twice a week. It's packed with people. Super fun. Okay. Just another like street view. The little mountain you see in the background is like not a real mountain. It, it used to be a mining community, so it's the, I forget the name for it. It's like all the uh, dirt and stuff that came out of the mine that they couldn't use. Anyway, that's what that is. So it's kind of like a, just a little signal that we're close to home when we see that. This is just kind of a downtown street. It's empty because it's Sunday, and everything's closed on Sunday. I mean everything. You can't go to the grocery store. You can't go anywhere. Everything's closed. Next slide. Another little picture of downtown. You can keep going. So before we go on there, um, now we'll just keep going. Here, I want to show you just some people. Um, and the reason I want to show you this, these people is because this is why we're there. This is, this is why God brought us there, because there's people that he wants us to connect us with. There's people that need Jesus. And really, our whole ministry has just been this very, like I said, natural and organic, relational-type ministry. And I've just been getting to know amazing people. So this one, um, if you, this is reaching back, but I'm not going to go to the whole story. But a couple of years ago, I think I told the story of how we got to Germany. Um, Basically, my brother-in-law donated bone marrow and saved the life of a woman with leukemia. That's her on the left. Her name is Jenny. She gave her life to Christ and got baptized when I went on a trip there in 2016. So we're standing in front of our house after we just recently got there and moved to Germany. Okay. Um, this is just some friends uh, of ours in Germany. Fun fact, the guy in the back left is the national champion for downhill mountain biking racing in all of Germany. He's just kind of a big, fat stud. And these are just a bunch of friends. Um, go ahead. Um, real quick, this story, this is a really significant picture for me. This is Karsten, Yula, and little Timmy. When we got to Germany, it was evident right away, we're going to need help. We can't even order a pizza in German. I mean, we can't do anything. It, it, we're, our hands are tied. How am I going to start a Bible study? How am I going to start a prayer meeting? I can't talk to the people. God, you didn't send us with a team, so you got to give us a team. And we started praying, especially my wife, very specifically. God, we need this. We need this. We need somebody who can speak English. We need people who are ministry-minded. It'd be cool if you could send us somebody that had a kid, like a little boy that our little boy could play with. Well, we went uh, a couple of months after being there. I got asked to speak at a church called Calvary Chapel in Siegen, uh, Germany. It's a larger church. It's kind of the Costa Mesa of Europe, if that means anything to you. Um, and I was teaching. I did this teaching, blah, blah, blah. A couple weeks later, back in uh, Lengefeld, where we live, I got this rando text message from some lady who said, hey, my name is Yula. You don't know me. I used to go to the church in that area where you were speaking a couple of weeks ago. I just listened to your podcast. I now live about 45 minutes from you. My husband and I want to meet you. And we're like, okay. So we scheduled a day for them to come have coffee. It's funny when you hear their story and you hear our story, you put it together. We're all like, this is weird. Who are these people? You're like, why do they want to meet us? We'll give them like an hour, you know. 
They came, they stayed for six hours. We worshiped, we prayed together, we talked, and they told us about how God has just kept, they're in this spiritual wasteland, they've been praying what they should do, and they're praying about coming over to where we are. We just met these people. So about a month later, they moved out of their apartment and found an apartment about 100 feet from our front door, and now they moved to our village. They speak perfect English. They love Jesus, want to serve God, and have a little boy named Timmy that gets to play with JJ. So in, instant team. Now, go ahead, next picture. Um, he, we did a little Easter service in our village. Um, they gave us this room. Like, we don't have a regular church. We don't have a regular Bible study. We have kind of just some associations. But we're like, dude, it's Easter. Let's just worship. So we just invited a couple of friends. Next slide. Like 30 people showed up. Now, when you, when you do Easter service here, they're mostly Christians that come to Easter service. And there, it was like 85% of people aren't even Christians. So I got to just preach the gospel. Um, that's my friend Karsten um, translating for me. That's me hacking a, a German worship song. Next slide. Um, this is another significant picture. In the course of that one family moving, Karsten and Eula, this is Karsten's best friend Daniel from high school. He came over to help with the move. In the process, they stayed at our house in our guest room. And the second time they came, we're having breakfast, and he looked across the table at us and said, so we're talking to a realtor today. And they ended up buying a house about a block and a half from us, or maybe two blocks. They moved from Berlin to our little tiny village of 400 people because God is doing something. <laughs> we don't even know what it is. It's, it's crazy. And so now we have two families. She's actually an American. She's from Miami. Uh, Miami or somewhere, I think so. Been in Germany for about seven years. Charlotte on the left is actually going to start first grade with JJ when we get back. And then there's Carl on the right there. And anyway, so now we have two families. We're taking over the village, basically, is what, what's happening. Um, go ahead, next picture. Um, this is a very important picture as well. This is my, our, what we call our Deutsch course. This is our life right now. This is our German course. We go to school every day, five days a week, several hours a day to just learn the language. And so we have people here from Iran, from Syria, from Thailand, from um, Macedonia, from Kosovo, from Russia, from everywhere, Ukraine, obviously. There's a whole nother class full of Ukrainians. Um, we're the only Americans. The first time our teachers ever taught an American. So that's kind of crazy. Our teacher's the guy in the blue. So every day we just learn German with these, these folks. And you can keep going. Um, this is one of the students, she's from Iran, and we went out to dinner on our anniversary, and she happened to be working at the restaurant, so she served us, and we're kind of like mom and dad of this class, and after several months, like, we're becoming a family, and everybody's like, so you left Hawaii, uh, to come to Sangerhausen? Warum? Which means, why? <laughs> and we get to tell them, so next, next slide. We had a little dinner right before we left for our vacation, just about half of our German course. He just wanted to go out and eat. Guy taking the pictures from, he's Greek, but he's from Russia, uh, and he was working there. Go ahead. Um, this is my friend Karsten with another friend named Karsten, and we're standing in front of a big bonfire, basically, that they do every Easter, and just, just showing you some of the faces and friends. Keep going. Um, this is a family that we got to know through my son, um, anyways, the reason they sent us this picture right as we left for vacation, they're eating tacos because what we did is we imported Taco Tuesday to Germany. <laughs> and praise God, there's tacos now in Germany. But anyways, you move again. Uh, just some more friends at a birthday party from our German class, like four languages represented there. We didn't know what to say to each other. Go on. 
Next one. Um, There's JJ doing a little class presentation. So cute. Singing the songs in German. It was awesome. Okay, next. Another dinner shot. Um, We had a group of young people, 18 to 23-year-olds, from Calvary Chapel Ziegen, which is about four hours away. Um, And after I spoke at the conference there recently, they said, hey, we want to come to East Germany because we want to just do some evangelism or just help you guys in any way we can. These are like 18 to 23-year-olds, and they're so on fire. And they just wanted to come. And so we're like, I was like, guys, we don't have a regular Bible study yet. We don't have a regular prayer meeting yet. But we could pray over our city. And they're like, we'll drive four hours to go pray over your city. So they came and we just walked around the city. They passed out tracks. They just witnessed to people. And then we just prayed and prayed. And then we had a little like park, like makeshift um, worship session on Sunday morning. Um, Next slide. This is us just kind of on the hillside praying. Next one. I love this picture. This is uh, JJ's biggest fan. This is his barber. And every time we walk into this barber shop full of Turks, they just, we walk in and they all go, JJ! Like that. They love this kid for some reason. Handsome guy. I, and I think that's the last picture. I could be wrong. Let's go see. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we'll stop there. We're not going to do the video. So um, the reason I showed you, by the way, all these pictures, did you notice we're sitting around a table a lot of times and there's this thing called food involved? Guys, I want to remind you that that is probably our number one, number two ministry. It just happens around eating, um, inviting people into our house, going to other people's houses. And the Germans, they know how to just talk. When you go to dinner with them, it's not like a half hour, 45 minutes. It's three, four, five hours, and they go deep, and they love to talk, and it's just very relational. And something that Hawaii helped teach me, I tend to, to not be super relational like that, but... Um, I think Hawaii kind of prepared me for that a little bit. But all that to say, guys, is, is a simple act of just inviting somebody over for dinner, having coffee with them, and just talking and, 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 and investing in them in that way has been huge. reason I say that is because you can do that. Oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. You can be. Be a missionary in Kilauea. You can have somebody at your house. You can invite people over. You can tell them the love of Christ. Amen? So... Those are just some faces, places. I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a vibe. There's lots of stories we could tell. Probably not going to get into it, but um, I just want to say this. God is moving, and it's been awesome. I tell you a lot of the cool stories, but I'm not going to lie to you. It's also been really hard. It's been a, it's been a hard year. I've never suffered with depression in my whole life until this year. Never had a suicidal thought in my life until this year. It's a dark, hard place, a place where Satan has had his talons gripped for generations and when you move light into a place that's really dark you get opposition and I'm not trying to play the martyr or anything like that I'm just saying that's the reality and um, I that's why when we say thank you for your prayers that we're not just blowing smoke you guys when you pray that is the biggest thing you can do for us Ian Bounds said that the, the success of every missionary venture has to do with how the church at home is praying that's the success of missionaries, and, and it's true. So thank you, guys. We love you and appreciate you. It's been a hard year, a great year full of victories and defeats, and God is moving, and God is working, and we're, we're getting excited to go back and to see what God's going to do next. But okay, I'm talking fast because there's still something I want to share for you from the Word. Yeah. Introduction over. You guys ready? So back to John chapter 21, I read um, out of a section that's pretty familiar to a lot of us. It's when 
Jesus basically restores Peter and then says, follow me. So here's what had happened. Jesus had died, crucified, as you know. Three days later, he raises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. He actually appears to Peter privately, but he tells them, go to Galilee, that's in the north, and he says, I'm going to meet you there. So they make the long trek to go meet with Jesus. They're in Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. That's their home. That's where they're from. And they're waiting to meet with Jesus. I guess he's going to appear to us again at some time. They're tripping. This whole thing is very confusing to them still. And while they're there, Peter says this. I'm going fishing. How many of you guys remember this story? Anybody? Okay, Peter was a fisherman. Jesus had called him away from fishing for fish and said, I'll make you a fisher of what? Men. He had left the nets. He'd been called away from that. But you see, Peter's state of mind is in an interesting place because why? He's failed. He's failed himself. He's failed the Lord. He, he swore on an oath he didn't even know Jesus, cock-a-doodle-doo. You guys remember and he looked over, right, as he said, I, I swear to God, I don't even know, I, I'll be damned to hell if I even know who Jesus is. Cock-a-doodle-doo. As Jesus walks by and Luke tells us that they lock eyes. And Peter's crushed. You ever had overconfidence and thought you were all that and then failed at your own standards? Failed God, he failed himself, he failed his bros, he failed everybody. And yet he's there uh, Jesus has appeared to him. We don't know what transpired there, but he's still, you get, the, you get the impression he's still pretty raw. He's still pretty broken. Maybe confused. And maybe thinking, well, whatever thing that Jesus had for me is clearly gone because I failed so bad. So I'm going fishing. I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. I know that. I know fishing. So he goes back to fishing, with the, and the, the boys go with him. They fish all night and catch what I catch every time I go fishing. Nothing. Ask Tanner. Every time I go with him, we catch nothing. So they catch nothing, but they're out there, and in the morning, they, you know, Jesus appears on the shore. Children, have you caught anything? No, they said. Throw your net on the other side. They throw it on the other side. Boom! The greatest catch in Galilean history, you know. These massive fish hit the net. John says, that's Jesus. Peter, being Peter, jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, when they get to the shore, he leaves the work for the rest of the guys, right? They pull this massive load in. They get to the shore, and I love that little phrase where it says that Jesus already had breakfast. He already had fish. He already had a fire. When did he go fishing? I don't know, but he's already got fish. How many of you guys know that when you go out looking for something, you come back to Jesus and you find he's already got what you've been looking for? <laughs> and he comes back, and they have Breakfast ready, and they have breakfast together. And then the classic scene where Jesus at some point looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? It's a great question. Do you love me? Do you agapeo me, Peter? Peter says, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Second time, Peter, do you love me? You know all things, Lord. You know I love you. Tend my lambs. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And this time it says Peter was hurt. He was grieved because he was asked a third time, Jesus, you know everything and you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. It's a great scene. If you don't understand what was happening there, Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus was giving Peter an opportunity to redeem himself three times. 
You denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you in front of these guys three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? This is Jesus restoring Peter, not only in relation, do you love me, but then he says, so feed my lambs. He's giving him a job. He's commissioning them. He's basically saying, Peter, you're not out of the game. I know you failed, but I'm not done with you, and I know you love me, and I've got stuff for you to do, and I'm restoring you, and I'm recommissioning you. But guys, here's the question I want you to to think about. He didn't say, do you promise to never do that again? He didn't say, are you going to be stronger? What did he say? Do you love me? Hold on to that because I think that's kind of a huge application because that's what it comes down to. Not do you go to church, not do you serve in Sunday school. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Do you really love him? That's a piercing question because you can come to church and not love Jesus. So anyways... Then he does something crazy. He takes a hard left turn and he goes, you know, Peter, and this is the part we read. When you're younger, you got to do whatever you wanted to, but when you're older, you're going to go somewhere you don't want to go. And it says in parentheses, he was telling him how he was going to die for the glory of God. By the way, Peter lived to an old age and he was crucified. Some historians say he was crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy to die in the same way that his Lord died. In other words, he's saying, look, you're going to have more tests. You're not going to fail me. In fact, you're going to end up dying for me, Peter. But this is what's crazy to me, and this is what really hit me. He just told him, you're going to die for me, Pete, so follow me. And in a sense, Peter was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Absolutely, I'll follow you. But he just told him you're going to die. And he's like, but I'll follow you. Now, there's a little funny part to this. They start walking away. John starts following him, and Peter, in classic Peter form, looks back and goes, but what about him? And Jesus goes, if I want him to live until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about what I'm calling other people to do. I'm telling you to keep your eyes on me, and you just follow me. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning, by the way. Stop worrying about what God's doing in other people's lives. What is he calling you to do? Where is he leading you? Amen? I'm adjusting my message as I go, but I... I, um, The heart of what I want to say is this. When Peter heard the words, follow me, that was not the first time Peter heard those words from Jesus. Do you understand that? Three years earlier, in John chapter 1, Peter's brother came and said, we found him. We found the Messiah. Brings Jesus to Peter, or Peter to Jesus. They meet. Then later on, Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter, um, John is fishing. Jesus walks by and says, follow me, I'll make you to become fishers of men. And it says they left their nets and followed him. It was like this, oh, we we don't just have an introduction. The rabbi Jesus has called us to follow him. Dad, I'm leaving the nets behind and I'm following Jesus. And he did. He went and lived with Jesus and he followed Jesus. Then in Luke chapter 5, we're told that Jesus was preaching to the crowd. And Peter was holding the boat for Jesus. It was like this floating, like, podium, you know. And he's holding the boat. And then after he's done preaching, he looks down at Peter and says, Hey, Peter, launch out into the deep and catch some fish. Now, catch this. Jesus, or Peter says, We fished all night, Lord. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you fished all night? I thought you left the nets behind. And they were out fishing all night and caught nothing. But when Jesus sent him out, 
They threw down the nets. Boom, they had another huge hit. Peter comes to shore, falls on his face before Jesus and says, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Depart from me. And Jesus said, follow me. Right? Do you guys catch what I'm saying? There's this ebb and flow with Peter. It wasn't so cut and dry. It wasn't like Peter just one time, I'm following Jesus, and like he never failed after that. He followed, and then he kind of went back to his old thing, and he followed, and he kind of went back, and he was kind of like this, and he's wishy-washy. But this time, when Jesus said, follow me, do you know that, ne- that Peter never went back? He never went back to the nets after this. He never went back to fishing after this. He was all in after this. What made this time different? You know what it wasn't? It wasn't teaching. It wasn't like he heard a teaching from Jesus and was like, that's it, I'll never, I'm following. Peter heard every teaching Jesus ever gave. He didn't see a miracle. It wasn't the fish in the net. Peter saw every miracle Jesus ever did. It wasn't like just, just the power or the glory of Jesus. Peter was on Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus glow. But what happened here that made it, for lack of a better word, stick? I suggest to you it was his grace. It wasn't teaching. It wasn't miracles. It wasn't glory and power. And something happened to Peter in this moment that changed him forever, and I, I suggest to you it was the grace of Jesus. Peter, for the first time, has a really healthy self-awareness of his failure. He knows how broken he is. He knows how incapable he is of keeping his own promises or serving God in his own power. In every way, Jesus should have dismissed him, should be done with him. He's failed, and yet Jesus looked him in the eyes and says, do you love me? Come on, feed my sheep. Do this. You're in the game. He looks at him and says, and follow me. Come on. And this is what I, I feel like the Holy Spirit put on my heart for Calvary Chapel North Shore. This, is what I sh- this isn't what we shared in Lahui. This isn't what we shared anywhere else. I feel like God put this on my heart for you guys. There's some of you in this room. It is not the first time you've heard Jesus say, follow me. Some of you have been following the Lord for years. And you've heard every teaching. You've even seen some miracles. Even experienced the power. But you keep going back. And maybe there's some of you in this room that are like, yeah, I'm at church and everybody thinks I'm doing great. But honestly, I'm not doing great. And, and, and Jesus has every right to just kick me to the curb. And I've gone back to things I shouldn't have gone back to. And I want to tell you this morning that what will change you and what will cause you to, to say, follow you, and it means dying, I'm in. Like, who does that? You know what that is? That's love. That's love. You see, when you experience the grace of God, you fall in love with God. And that's different from hearing teachings, and that's different than seeing miracles. When you experience personally the grace of God, when you realize that Jesus died for the crud and the the sin and the the failures and the pride and the lust and the thievery and all of those things that you've done, and he still looks you in the eye and says, follow me, that'll blow your mind. Amen? Amen? He's recalling some of you. I don't mean recall like you're defective, but I mean he's recalling you. He's saying to some of you right now, follow me. But Jesus, I failed. I'm not like Pastor Steve, or I'm not like Austin, or I'm not a missionary. I'm not the. 
And he just says, just follow me. Do you love him? Do you love him? If you don't love him, it's probably because you love something else more. You know how you overcome a a desire and a passion for something? You have a, a greater passion for something else, and that is when you just see Jesus on the cross and fall in love with him, all those other passions just go by the wayside, and you're like, I'm all in. Amen? And I want to clarify something. When Jesus said, follow me, I'm not referring to, I'm not primarily saying Jesus was saying, come and serve me and work for me. Of course that's involved. But do you understand that primarily, 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 when Jesus says, follow me, he's calling you to relationship. He's calling you to intimacy. He's calling you to just be where he is. Serving is secondary. Serving is the natural byproduct of abiding in Jesus. When Jesus called the 12 onto the mountain in Mark 3 and said, it said he called us the 12 and he named them apostles that they might be with him. And then he sent them out to cast out demons and preach the kingdom. But what was the priority? Be with him. And that's what Jesus is calling you to do, to be with him. Just be close to him. To be a Jesus follower. But it also does mean to, f- to follow Jesus does have this, uh, and I would be remiss to not say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you can only have one leader in that relationship. Who's following who? If Jesus says follow me, that means he's got to lead. And you can never truly be a Jesus follower if you're still holding on to your life and your plans and your desires and you're not fully submitted to him. And you're saying, well, I'll, I'll believe in you, but I'm still going to go where I want to go, date who I want to date, live where I want to live, work where I want to work. But when you see Jesus die on the cross for your sins and your failures and you say, I want to follow you, you say, my life is yours. No more, I don't get to make the decisions on my life anymore. That's radical. And he's saying to some of you today, follow me. Maybe he's saying to some of you for the first time, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to know he loves you. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. And he died on the cross as a substitution for you. And three days later, he raised from the dead. And the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you put your trust in him, that he did it all for you on the cross, and you receive him into your life, he changes you from the inside out. You become a part of God's family, reconciled to the, to, as children of God. And that's where it all starts. I would think most of you already know Jesus, and I just want to encourage you today, follow him because he loves you. Amen? I know some of you have failed. I know some of you have gone back. But this morning, he's saying to some of you, re-follow me. Keep following me. Let's do this again, because I paid for your sins. Amen? What a radical life it is, Jesus, to just simply follow you. You're not asking us to conquer the world and do this and do that. You're just saying, come back into a deep relationship with me. Walk where I walk, go where I go, think how I think. We have all failed, Lord. We, every one of us have failed, Lord. We've all fallen short of your glory. Even as believers, we've, we've, we've messed it up. And I just want to pray right now. I feel like there's three things. That maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know you yet, and they're maybe exploring Christianity or curious 
and there's a lot of different and wrong ideas about you out there, God, but I pray they would hear your voice today saying, follow me, and they would receive you as their Savior for the first time. I pray, Father, for those who are here and maybe one time in their life they felt like you had a purpose for them or they were close to you, but life got busy or they messed up and they went back or this happened or that happened or got hurt or whatever and just kind of assumed you're done with them. But I pray in a supernatural way they would hear you this morning speaking to them saying, follow me. And lastly, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is walking with you and following you, but you're calling them to a life of service to you, that they would answer that call today. They don't have to know the details, just got to be willing. And I pray, God, that they would, in a sense, either physically raise their hand up or spiritually in their heart raise their hand up, but just avail themselves to you, God. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we after all that you've done for us? In Jesus' name.